0: As we go from Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments in the first reading, we go to another mountain, Mount Transfiguration, uh, in the Gospel reading today. And so I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel as you're able. The Gospel today comes from the Gospel of Luke in the ninth chapter, starting in the 28th verse. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men who were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents for one for you and for one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he was saying these things. A cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please, as you're able, be seated. Well, today my youngest daughter is celebrating. We're celebrating her birthday, and she's made it known to us that when we celebrate later today, that uh, whatever may come, it must involve ice cream. <laughs> uh, but you know what she didn't ask for? She didn't ask for antifreeze, paint thinner, or lice killer. Surprise! Surprise! Right? Uh, but I, I say that because of this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about and looked at labels, what you're putting in uh, some of that delicious ice cream into your mouth on Ice Cream Sunday, but I read this week that uh, never mind the fat calories, we're talking some serious ingredients. That, For example, in many of today's uh, commercial ice cream, it's not uncommon to substitute for eggs uh, Dimethyl glycol. That's a chemical. I don't know if I said it right, but that's a chemical that is used, wait for it, in antifreeze, paint remover, and in some cases, uh, lice killers. Sounds delicious, doesn't it? Right? Uh, it's no wonder that when you go for a delicious treat, or when I do, you want the real thing. You will notice in food labels and advertising, oftentimes we'll see today real or all natural because we're looking for authenticity. We're looking for it in our food and we're looking for it in every area of our life. Spouses who love you, we don't want them to pretend. We want to teach our kids not to lie because we know lies end up crumbling. We want historians to ever uncover reality. We want scientists who are precise. Anything less than the real thing, the truth, we don't want to stand for. We want to put our hope, our trust, our very lives into things that are real and significant. Whether it's ourselves or our hard work or our future through our kids, we want something significant. But will those things really stand the heat of life? Will they be real? Will they be authentic? Will they be able to handle what is actually real in this world? Like a heat shield on a rocket ship, a spacecraft entering the atmosphere, we need protection from the heat of this world. Without it, we know all too well from our experience and history how painfully uh, and heartache that comes when the heat shield doesn't hold up. You know about that kind of heartache, not just on a craft entering the atmosphere. You know about it in your own lives, don't you? Putting your life in relationships or in jobs or friendships or circumstances that failed you. When we make any of those things of this life the ultimate, when we we substitute the penultimate for the ultimate, it's, it's why those things begin to crush us. We get the order out of sync. We put them ahead of God. And when we do that, those penultimate things just crush us when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to the metaphysical, the spiritual world, we need something as real and as authentic as anything in the natural world. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at what Christians believe. We're going to look at what is real, what is authentic, what can we put our trust into that will last And like we do every day and every week here at Faith Lutheran, uh, we'll do that search for the real and authentic from God's word. Today we'll be examining the commandments. In in the weeks ahead, we'll be using uh, this little book, a summary of our Christian faith. Sometimes uh, uh, on the cover you'll see a simple explanation of Christianity uh, but sometimes also called, we call it the small catechism. There are copies of it out in the, uh, you can take for free out in the Centrum or the Fellowship Hall, or you can, uh, there's an app, you can download the app or get it online, whatever you'd like, if you'd like to continue on. I hope you do this discussion at home. We'll examine first for us today the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Uh, But these three chief articles of the faith, the Ten Commandments, uh, who God is as as summarized in the creeds, and how to live this faith out in uh, our daily life in the Lord's Prayer, uh, bring for us real and authentic faith, real and authentic realities that deal with the reality of the world and the life that we live in. Well, let's begin with the Ten Commandments. The anchor for morality for human behavior, whether it was secular society or theistic society for the ages. We will note that these commands not only point to a way of life, they point to authentic and real community. We also know that properly understood, properly understood that not only are we reading these Ten Commandments, we're being read by them. And when we have been read by them, we find out, we soon discover, as Jesus points out, when he talks about our hearts, that we fall short. Well, rather than go through each one of these, we're going to see what God is doing through each of them. After all, uh, when I usually am teaching the Ten Commandments, I usually spend about 12 weeks, an hour and a half on each one, and we just don't have time for that this morning. But we will discover some important truths about this eternal promise from His Word in these commands. And we'll discover that it doesn't begin, if you begin to look carefully, you'll note, it doesn't begin with a to-do list. It begins with a list that has been completed, a done list, a thing that God has done. That is, the commands actually in the first command begin with a statement. The God who rescued His people out of the land of Egypt. The commands begin with the reminder that God rescues His people. That order and noticing that order is important. Parents don't love their kids uh, when they're born because, and wait until after they obey them to do that. They just love. We just love. And then invite them to obey. God does the same thing. He loves us first. He rescues us first. He rescues us and then leads us to follow him. Now, to be sure, the moral aspects of these commands can't be ignored. We are called to obey. But it begins with God's action first. When a Coast Guard diver tells a drowning victim to hold on because he has come to the rescue, it is... His commands that we follow, because he's in the thick of it with us. He's put skin in the game, and that's what God has done through Christ Jesus. He has lowered himself into this dangerous world to rescue us. He did it then, and he's doing it now. And you'll notice in the reading of Deuteronomy, it was not in the past tense, it's in the present tense that God is giving us this command. Now, 20th century philosophers say the commandments, and in some ways you could uh, argue that they were right, are a way of just controlling the people. Unless you understand that first statement, that they were formed from first God's rescue. The picture of human community, the covenantal relationship that God wants with us, the, the glory cloud that God brings with His presence, Comes and then the invitation to follow. So if we hold on to this one true God, this real rest, real relationships with parents, spouse, and neighbor, truth, they'll all be realized, but they must be realized in this proper order that God's action first followed by us. When we get that order out of sync, it messes. Uh, everything up. We call them tables. On the image uh, before you, you see twice an image of the oldest uh, carvings into stone of the Ten Commandments. We have older parchments than these, uh, but the oldest carving of the Ten Commandments into stone. And on the left, you see, as we sometimes call it, the first table of commands. They begin and have to do with who God is and the second table it has to do with as we move on in the commandments moving with commandment four forward in the first service I think I said commandments one through four so I got the order on we'll see if anybody catches it uh, but first three commands have to do with God the next seven have to do with how to love people for that's how we'll love God When we get the order mixed up and we take the second table and make them a priority over the first, then we end up not following either now, if we follow the first table and 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 honored and followed God, we most naturally do the second. The order matters because the first table has to do with worship it has to do with uh, putting What is ultimate in its proper place? And when we do that, everything else follows into our daily work, our daily vocation. But when we don't, we're crushed. When we put the order out of sync, we are crushed. We we make ourselves out to be the heroes that somehow we can complete this list on our own. We're crushed. There's only one hero in the Bible, and it's not us; it's God. And so, why we're so devastated when when finances collapse because we've elevated our daily work over God, or when romances end, even uh, even as hard and painful as that is, when the order is right, we know how to be sustained. With this out-of-sync order, it's why suicide is now a leading cause of death. You say, wait, maybe I'm already crushed. I've already got the order out of sync. Well, yes, you do. And so do I. But the good news is, One is coming. One has come who can fulfill them. And we'll get there. I heard a Presbyterian preacher tell the story I'm about to tell. And he was quoting a Methodist preacher and an Anglican writer. uh, And they were all referencing a, a Lutheran philosopher. So with all that together, it must be right. Right? It's actually from the memoirs. Uh, after he told the story, I had to pick up the book, the memoirs of Frances Perkins, the first uh, female cabinet member. She was serving President Roosevelt, and uh, you see an image of her there on the left. She uh, tells the story of a dinner party there. Uh, Methodist pastor Howard Johnson was discussing uh, detective novels uh, by Anglican Dorothy Sayers with the president, and they were both enjoying it. She was a favorite author of the time. And Pastor Johnson, though, wanted to move into more theological conversation, so he let the president know that Dorothy Sayers' writings also included and maybe even more more significant in her theological texts. Well, he hadn't read those, and so the president was interested, and he went on to tell her, to, uh, tell of her writings, uh, and that they were anchored in the uh, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. The president hadn't read Kierkegaard, and so he took down more notes of some of Kierkegaard's work, and the evening went on. Well, days later, maybe weeks, uh, the Uh, cabinet member Francis Perkins was in a conversation with the president and it seemed out of the blue and uh, he said Francis have you read Kierkegaard and she said no I've only read of him or heard of him and he said well you should because he finally explained for me the Nazis let me explain Kierkegaard wrote about original sin and we know from history that many of the world leaders, including Roosevelt, were told for years about what was happening to the Jews by Jewish leaders in Germany. But they didn't believe them. I mean, how could, how could this most well-educated nation in the age of humanism in the 20th century how could they possibly be doing these things? They've been educated. I went to school with some of these folks. They would think. It's not possible. Well, then finally, reading the work of Kierkegaard based on the truth of original sin that we are unable to complete by ourselves with our own volition these 10 commands. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't obey them, but it does mean we can't fulfill them. Our performantism, as the uh, author of the book Secularity writes, will not save us. You see, the secular world only offers our performance, and our performance will always be incomplete. We discovered in the 20th century as Roosevelt discovered, the humanism that we thought and it did bring so many good things, but it was also incomplete, and it began not as the greatest century in human history, but as the bloodiest. And we were full of robust knowledge. And so if we can't save ourselves, who will? Who can? Well, it's not to abandon these commands. It's having been read by them. Having been read by them, then we can conform and confess and then have our shortcomings crucified with Christ on the cross. You see, we have to go to a different mountain. We have to go to the mountain of transfiguration, the one where we discover who Jesus really is where only finally Jesus is found alone, where Moses steps aside and Elijah steps aside. Only Jesus can fulfill these commands and he does it in this real world. He does it in this real world. So you see this picture of uh, Mount Tabor or Mount Transfiguration where the transfiguration uh, happened, we think. I took it on uh, a from the bus window when you're driving by so you can see why it's a little bit blurry there at the bottom. But I wanted to take a picture of this real place because God did a real thing there and declaring that Jesus is the chosen one, we discover that God is the rescue plan. As he was the rescue plan to get his people out of Egypt, he is now our rescue plan to complete what we can't complete, to create community that we can't create, and to do what we have not been able to do. To move from commandment to communion, to real community. N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked in our midst, Christianity either means that, he writes, or it means nothing. It's either the more devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world that's being read by the commandments, or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. But we don't have to live in the world of in between. We can Come to Mount Transfiguration and discover the one who can finally complete it. Who we don't just see his glory from afar, he is the glory, he is the cloud, he is the one and only. Not only did he write these words, as the Apostle Paul writes in Titus, talking about in chapter 1, verse 2, where he says he's been there since the beginning. But not only has he written these words and written them on our hearts, he has fulfilled them. That's why we can move from this image on the left of just being read by the text to this other image that maybe you've seen, this other example of being transformed. So go back again, I want you to take note of this. Maybe you've seen it in your newsfeed this week of Amber Geiger. She was read by the law, found guilty of murder. She's being embraced by Botham, the brother of the one who has been killed, or hugged by Brant, the brother of Botham who was killed. As a reminder. He said in an interview that I saw that, you know, I'd been waiting for her to say sorry so that I could forgive her. Forgiveness comes because of what Christ has done. This capacity doesn't make sense in human terms, but they make sense in God's economy. We go to the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured, and we discover that what he has completed, we can't. But his rescue plan isn't just a moment in history, it is for us now. It is for us now. And so, friends, we need to get the order right. It starts with God's rescue plan. Our response comes after. Yes, I want to be the hero and so do you, but it needs to be Christ. We need to be able to put, as Luther writes about the Ten Commandments, to put our heart in a God that we can find trustworthy, a heat shield that will hold up authentic ingredients. It's not going to be found in you. It's going to be found in Him. Buddha won't do it. Essential oils won't do it. A bottle of wine won't do it. Uh, Grades aren't going to get you there. Success won't take you there. Eating too much or too little won't solve it. Political victories, good as they may be, won't do it. Jesus was tempted by all these good things when Satan said, you just have to let me take the lead. And you don't have to go to the cross and you can do all of these good things for these people. But Jesus remembered these commandments said, in quoting them said, you shall have no other gods before me. This transcendent God, yes, He completed the law like we could never. No other heat shield, no other ingredient, none other than the one who bears the glory. So yes, do we conform? Yes. Do we confess? Yes. Do we fall short? Yes but he crucified all that on the cross for us to bring about a new Passover, a Passover that we come to at this table today. For now, only one remains, and it's Jesus. He brings that rescue plan to your life, to your family's life, to touch your heart and to complete what we can't, but what he has done. Receive that living gift today. In Jesus' name, amen.